coast to coast, border to border, and around the world. It's time for The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio. Now, here's your host, Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of The Bill Alexander Show with yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill. And today is a big pleasure for me because I'm interviewing someone that has pretty much done what I think is everything. And yet, she was in the movie Eddie Macon's Run. She was Jilly Buck, which to me is still one of my most favorite characters of all time. Lee Purcell's on the phone. Lee, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, but now I'm doing even better when I heard you mention Jilly Buck and Eddie Macon's Run. I, I think that's great. I love that film. And the question of the day is, when you and John Snyder were in the shower mm-hmm. and you were washing him, mm-hmm. were you were you clothed in some way, shape, or form? Uh, yes, <laughs> but it, it's actually a funny story. Okay that I could share with you, which I don't think hardly anybody knows this story, except from John and me. Excuse me. So I was, I was concerned about the scene because it's in the shower and we're supposed to be naked, and, and I was very concerned about it. And the producer, who was just a wonderful man, Marty Bregman, who uh, we have lost now, but he said, well, let's go... He obviously had had this problem before with other actors. He said, let's go to the fabric store. Okay. And I said, the fabric store? He said, yeah, let's just go. Now, this is a big Hollywood producer. You know, he he worked Mm -hmm. with Al Pacino a lot. I mean, this this wasn't a beginner. So we go to the fabric store, and he says, now, let's find this particular kind of fabric that matches your skin color. So we went around and we looked and we found fabric. It was a kind of a thick, I don't know, jersey, whatever it was. And we bought it. And then, <laughs> and then he and I sat down and we cut out certain shapes to cover certain parts of the body. And then we gave those uh, to wardrobe and, and they applied uh, two-way tape waterproof, thank God, uh, to those shapes that Marty and I had created, and voila, there was my modesty perception. <laughs> strange. Isn't that strange? I haven't even thought about that for years. Interesting, because what were they worried about showing that they had to go the, I mean, I could have understand like a swimsuit or something like that, because they really didn't show you from any way below the shoulders down. Well, that's not to say it was shot. Ah, gotcha. That way. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. You know, so so it was all, it, everything that I wanted covered was covered in advance in the same went for John. Which, which again, is a great movie. I mean, it is, I mean, you had uh, Kirk Douglas in that film, of, of all people. And that was probably one of his last films, wasn't it? I, you know, I, I believe it was. I'm not sure. But as I sit here talking to you, I'm looking on my bulletin board in my office, and I have um, a note from Kirk prominently displayed that he wrote me just a few months before he died that 
because we really enjoyed working together. And, of course, I had worked with his son in my first film, Adam B. 6 a.m., Michael Douglas. And so he had heard me uh, doing an interview, kind of like this one, where I mentioned him and said what a mensch he was. <laughs> and so he wrote me this lovely note and thanked me and said what happy memories he had of that shoot. And I, it was just, it meant the world to me. It still does, because I'm still looking at it on my bulletin board. Well, uh, what I realized um, that you were in the film with him and everything else, and I'm going, if I ever play six degrees of separation, I like win, because I'm talking to you. You work with, work with Kurt Douglas, and I'm done. I mean, I I, I win it every time. Uh, <laughs> I'm going. I like this job, but uh, not only did you work with uh, his son, you also worked with him on Streets of San Francisco, right? No, uh, uh-uh. no, I worked with him in my first film. Oh, okay. Which was called Adam at 6 a.m. that Steve McQueen produced uh, for his company, Solar Productions. And um, it was my first break. It was my first film. And it was a, a big, big, big starring role. And and that's where I worked with Michael. So I was looking at International Movie Database, and I noticed all the things that you did during the 70s. And one of the programs that you did in the 80s was Murder, She Wrote, with Angela Lansbury. So with her passing the last few weeks, how was it to actually work with her? Oh, my gosh. She's one of my favorites. I worked with her, I think, six times, I think. And she was, I mean, she I, I don't know. I can't say enough good things about her. Everything you've ever heard that's good about her, every single thing is true. And everybody I know who's worked with her, which is a lot of us, everybody loved her. I never heard anybody ever say a bad word about Angela. She was just amazing. And she, uh, we became uh, very friendly because, you know, you work with somebody six times. You kind of get to know them a bit. And so I went to see her when she was doing the... uh, stage play of Blind Spirit here in Los Angeles and and she, and she was at that point she had to be 90 she had to be 90 I think and went to see her I had done Blind Spirit in England but a different role okay and and she did I can't remember the character's name right now but it's the woman on the bicycle I was thinking of that one of the starring roles and I was watching her, and she was doing almost gymnastics across the stage, like doing, like, you know, dives and rolls into the sofa. And I'm going, this is astonishing. And so I had, she had invited me backstage after the play. And so I went back and gave her some flowers, and we were chatting, and I and I, I was telling her how amazing she was. I mean, her performance was just amazing. And then the, these two aspects, and I said to Angela, well, Angie, excuse me, how did you, how did you do that? all those, like, gymnastics and that physical, physical activities and the jumping and the throwing yourself into the couch and doing, like, shoulder rolls and... And she just looked at me and she says, oh, darling, <laughs> we do what we must, don't we? 
oh that had to be that had to be fun to to, to, to oh, talk to her about that work with her and again looking through everybody i mean you've worked with some really big people i mean if you go back and look at stir crazy you worked with gene wilder and richard Pryor. You yeah. worked with um, and Sydney Poitier, Don't forget. And, that's right. I forgot about that. And um, you worked with Tom Selleck. You worked with mm-hmm. uh, Andy Griffith. You worked with uh, oh, why can't I? Orson Welles, Bozeman, and the other one. He was Jake <laughs> and the Fat Man. Why can't I think of the Fat Man right now? Um, uh, Bill Conrad. Bill Conrad. That's it. I thought he he was a wonderful actor, but again, these are people that are no I mean no slouches. I mean, you've worked with some really big actors, and then you also worked with actors that were unheard of at the time, such like as uh, oh, you were working with Gary Busey. Oh, he wasn't unheard of. What's that? I worked with. He was not unheard of. Had, yeah, not at all. He was he was a known actor when we did Big Wednesday. In fact, I had worked with him before in a film called Dirty Little Billy, one of my favorite films I've ever done. He was in that, and then we worked together, you know, a few years later on Big Wednesday. Right. And uh, Jan Michael Vincent, William Cat, mm-hmm. and uh, was also in Big Wednesday. So I mean, you you've you've worked with quite a few people, but then all of a sudden. We don't see you on the screen anymore. We see you behind the screen. Why did you make the transition from being in front of the camera to behind the camera? Well, I, that isn't exactly accurate. Okay. I mean, I'm still working. I just had a film out a couple of years ago, still playing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, you know, I like, I like both. And, you know, I was nominated for two Emmys in, uh, you know, after after the period you're talking about and did a series uh, with Chadwick Boseman after that period you're talking about in the 2010. So, yeah, that isn't really correct. So you, recently, um, this past year, you were doing something called Hollywood Radio players. Explain to me what that is. Well, I'm still doing it. Okay. We're, we're, editing, we're editing right now our third show, and people can go to our website, hollywoodradioplayers.com, and, and they can see the first two shows that are up, and we'll be posting a new show the first week of every month, for as long as we do it, which we haven't decided. And the reason we started doing this kind of a convoluted story, but I'm very active in the union. I'm a union activist, my union SAG-AFTRA, and I'm on a bunch of committees, and uh, the first committee I ever I ever joined, a volunteer for, was called SAG-AFTRA Radio Players, and out of the 33 committees in the union, it is the only committee that actually performs, if you can okay. believe it. And as 160,000-plus actors in the means. So I, I have been on that committee ever since, and when the pandemic hit, because we would perform live in the Los Angeles area. I love doing live performances, and we would perform live. And then we couldn't because of the pandemic. So we were all talking via Zoom, 
and saying, well, what do we do? And we decided to pivot and start performing classic radio plays, which is what we've always done, on Zoom. And it was very challenging. It was a huge learning curve. But we started doing it, and we started archiving our shows, and we did everything from the War of the Worlds to Life of Riley to The Hitchhiker to just a whole lot of shows. And then we would archive them on YouTube in a private channel, and then we were kind of pondering, what do we do with them? But I have been doing some work with the Motion Picture and Television Fund, and so I approached them, and we made this agreement that we would help them raise money for the Motion Picture and Television Fund by loaning them our shows. Okay. So that's what we're doing, but there's a lot of work because... <laughs> You know, the shows were not in uh, in their final form. So we so we do that. Every, you know, every, my partner and I, my producing partner and I, you know, go into a panic mode every month. Like, oh, my God, what do we do now? So right now we're working on Life of Riley, the Thanksgiving episode, which is from 1948. And, and we'll post that the first week in November so people can enjoy it over Thanksgiving holiday. And then... Prior to that, the October show is The Hitchhiker, which is from 1942, and that is um, a scary, a kind of scary ghost ghost story for the month of October, Halloween, and then prior to that was the big show, The War of the Worlds, that I directed, and and that is up. So people can go onto our website, hollywoodradioplace.com, and the links are there, and then if and that will take them to YouTube. And, and if, if they can hit like and subscribe, that really helps us. Right. And then if they can afford to make a donation to MPTF, Motion Picture and <laughs> Television Fund, uh, it is much, much appreciated. They do not have to, to see the show, but we really appreciate it when they do. So how was it since you said you directed The War of the Worlds? I mean, that was an Orson Welles classic. Being able to also have your hand in it so many years later, the original done in 1938 and now doing it in 2022. Yes. Was there anything changed or do you go actually off the original script? We use the original script exactly, word for word, except I change because the, the original broadcast on CBS in 1938, as you said, was uh, very um, male-heavy, shall okay. we say. And we have, in our troupe, we have male and female actors. So I changed a couple of the, maybe three, I'm not sure, but I changed a few of the roles, like one was in the original called Harry something. I changed it to Harriet. And then another one was Carl somebody, and I changed it to Carla. Things like that. But the dialogue is exact. And then what we do, we call this radio you can see. Okay. Because you see us. You don't just listen to us. Although you can if you want to, but then you miss. We, we, are, we do a very elaborate production because we, we do special effects, sound effects. We do costumes, hats, hair, makeup. It's, it's quite elaborate. And we have invented this combination, this hybrid, 
And uh, so we, so that's why we call it radio you can see. So you are also, and then you have, um, you're going to be doing Our Miss Brooks, where you're playing the part of Miss Brooks, who was played by Eve Arden. Uh, yes. Have you listened to the original? Are you going to try to duplicate her, or are you going to put your own spin on it? Well, we have already recorded that show. Oh, okay. But we haven't done the post-production yet, so we'll be working on that after we finish the one we're working on now. But we have recorded the actual show without all the frills. Then we add the frills. So what I did, um, what I did was I I did listen to her, but not not so I could mimic her. I am a good mimic, but I didn't want to mimic her. I just wanted to get a flavor. Okay. Because those shows were written for her. Right. So if I think if you try to do something utterly, you know, off of that, you're making a big mistake because the rhythm is her rhythm and the tone is her tone. But I didn't... I didn't do it. I, I did not mimic her, no. So with with doing these radio plays, and I've always been a big fan of them, and I grew up listening to them because of my grandparents and everything else, and I'm in my mid-50s, do you see what you're doing now introducing this to a younger audience? Oh, yes. You would not believe it. Like kids. And they love it and millennials and Gen Xers and I mean I did not grow up listening to radio at all not radio plays I listened to rock and roll you know but but there were no radio plays when I came along I don't know how you heard it you must have heard old well actually there was two stations in the Pittsburgh area that Uh on overnight and on the weekends they would rebroadcast the originals so if I was ever staying at my grandparents we listened to them together, and it was really interesting because that's because I think the theater of the mind is something that the, the last two generations have lost because they're not able to imagine what what they're hearing is what I'm saying. And again, I think it's I think it's a, a lost skill, and I'm so glad to hear that you're saying that people are now being drawn to these because I think that's something very important to be able to teach the young people. I I agree with you because it's. It is a, I think, a great art form, and is very different. Acting for radio or acting on Zoom right. for radio, it's it's very different from any other style of acting or directing or special effects. <laughs> it's it's very very different, but I think you have to have that because you know you're talking about uh, kids and young people who are raised on Marvel movies, mm-hmm. and they don't have the patience, or the, most of them don't, to sit and listen to a radio play. They, don't, they just don't have it. They weren't brought up like that. So, But if they see them, which ours you see, right. that's a different story. They can really get into it, and they really do, and we are quite delighted and, frankly, surprised that the younger people do enjoy it. So it's been really gratifying it is um it is a learning experience we went and gave a seminar to a a, a very large convention of um, educators for the middle school high school and college okay and they wanted to know how do you do a radio play 
so we uh, so we showed them how to we showed them how to do it live with we took um, several of our sound effects we have physical sound effects with us and then we we showed them how to uh, do it digitally which is what we do now mm-hmm. and then at the end of that I directed several of them in I forget what it was and I think it was how much books actually and that and that was maybe a month ago three weeks. And, and that was great because we were spreading the word so that they could spread the word. And that was, that was really fun. What is really interesting, and, I've, and I, I, my audience knows this, I am a high school teacher. Oh, you are? I teach communications, and I teach oh radio God. and English. And I've done radio plays in my, in my class before. And oh, hearing you, and the funny thing is, I played in my one class this afternoon the first half of the original War of the Worlds, and I had no idea that we were going to be talking about this this afternoon. So that's why I knew no. the dates and everything. <laughs> so it was, that's, that's amazing. That's kind of unique. But we have, in this area, there are now uh, middle school students uh, in one of the districts in the area that their teacher is showing them how to do radio plays and they're turning them into, of course, podcasts so they oh, can do it so because cool. this is a great communication tool that 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 people have forgot about. I mean, we start, I started teaching radio plays probably 2003 um, oh and, and one of the first oh, ones we did, I still have a copy of it, um, which is hilarious wow. to listen to these kids, but they did the sound effects, they did the lines, they wrote the whole thing. We didn't redo one. I had them write it. And again, it is, it, it's a great learning tool. And I'm so glad to hear that, that you, you did this for a bunch of educators because I always think educators feel that the arts like, like movie, TV and radio are they can't use them as learning tools and i think they're the best learning tools because the kids can relate to them i i agree with you i mean it's it's better than you know i think being lectured yes uh, unless you have a fabulous lecturer it's just it gives them some variety in their day-to-day curriculum and i i really am very supportive of that and when we had to pivot from being the SAG after radio players to becoming the independent group Hollywood radio players. It, it was a whole different world for us. But we we have really benefited from that. Being able to do things like bring this to that group I just told mm-hmm. you about educators and and then being able to talk to people like yourself and everybody wants to know about this. It's it's actually it's actually amazing to me. I've done all these big movies and series and everything which people do want to know about but they really love hearing about this because it's so weird it's unique yeah so and it's new again Mm -hmm. and it's unique right and we and we love it we have you know so much i mean i know that we're doing i'm not in this one uh baby snooks um several of our troop are doing that and then we're going to be doing Casablanca. Ooh. And we're going to do that. It's going to be quite experimental because we're going to bring back our our bag of tricks, okay. our visual sound effects, and not use digital. We haven't quite figured that out yet, but my partner, my producing partner, is directing it. 
and I'm playing the Ingrid Bergman role, and he's playing the Humphrey Bogart role. And then we're going to do, you know, Tom Bergeron is, if you know who he is, yes. quite, quite a well-known guy. America's Funny Song Videos, uh, uh, Dance with the Stars, yes. All of that. <laughs> yeah, all he's that. our host. He's our host, and he's very, very keen on all this. And he had performed with us live playing Sam Spade in the Maltese Falcon. Oh, okay. So we're, we're, we're probably going to do the Maltese Falcon on our radio Zoom show, and then Tom will play again Sam Spade. But every show we do, he's our host, and he does the, the intro. So have you seen any of our shows? Uh, unfortunately, I haven't. Um, well, watch them. I am going to as soon as we're done here today. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, what, what I think is interesting, and the audience probably doesn't know this because of the age of the audience, like you're doing Casablanca, there was a radio version written for a weekly radio show based on the movie. And, of course, it's not the full movie. It's probably about, what, 50 minutes in length, 55 minutes in length? I know that that I people know. don't realize that that, one. that they that they did a readers. I mean, we use the term readers digest convinced version, but it is just as good because I've heard a lot of these in the past. Um, Here, here's another little piece of trivia about that particular production. Yeah, that was the annotated version of the movie, and this you're not going to believe because we didn't. We were shocked when, when we discovered this, like way after we decided to do. Casablanca is one of our next shows, and and we raise money, as I said, for the Motion Picture and Television Fund, which is, if you're not familiar with it, it's the industry charity here, the Motion Picture and Television Industry Charity, because there's a lot, you know, very few people, very small percentage in the industry are wealthy. The rest of them are, you know, paycheck by paycheck. Right. So people need help, and and they and they've been in. I know I'm talking about MPTF here a lot, but I admire and respect them so much. Otherwise, I would not be spending all this time doing shows for them. But they, they've been in, around for 100 years, and they've been helping people from the very start within the motion picture and television mm -hmm. industry. And they go from, you know, prenatal care or, you know, early pregnancy to all the way to the end of life care. And they run the full gamut of a person's lifetime, and they've helped many, many people that I know. So we were we were quite um, excited, still are, about doing Casablanca to raise money for them. And then we found out that that production we're talking about, which I think was hmm, forty, I'm going to guess forty-two, I may be wrong, but it's in that era. It was to raise money for the Motion Picture and Television Fund. Oh, wow. It's come full circle. Just <laughs> I know, it's just incredible. It had a slightly different name then, like the Motion Picture, some, but it's the same group. And so, yeah, so, I don't know, 70 years later, we're doing it again. So... <laughs> so just, Blew my mind. When you do, my mind when my you mind. do these scripts, do you have to pay rights for them, or are they in the public domain? No. We only do public domain okay. because of that. 
because I mean, Otherwise, I we couldn't do it. Well, and that was going to ask you now. The other thing I think is interesting, and and I may have missed this that you said it, but you said you're doing these via Zoom since since we finally came out on the other side of the whole pandemic. At least we think we have. Have you thought about doing these as stage shows? Well, that's what we did. Oh, okay. That's that's what I thought you said. Okay. Yeah, we, we uh, for about 10 years, uh, we performed live in the Los Angeles area, area, usually at the Autry Museum. I don't know if you know what that is. No. But it, it's a very, very beautiful, popular museum that was funded by Gene Autry, who was a big country and western mm-hmm. star and the radio guy, and, and also happened to own the Dodgers. Yes. The, the Dodgers? Or no, I thought it was the Angels. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think it's the Angels. And so he also was very magnanimous, and he funded this museum, and then next to that, part of that complex owned by the Autry is the uh, Wells Fargo Theater. Excuse <coughs> me. So you can guess who funded the theater. And then, and then over the, the, the parking lot is the big L.A. Zoo. So it's quite a wonderful area, and and that's where we perform in the Wells Fargo Theater at the Autry Museum premises, and and we've done that for years. And we've also performed in the uh, in the Union itself, but you know we're still not allowed. We're still not allowed to do that. Oh really? Okay. No, we're not. And and it's not because of the museum. It's because of our union. Ah. And the restrictions um, that we're still under, which is why we formed a completely different group, the Hollywood Radio Players. Okay. Because we're we can be independent and do things, and uh, and the, it was actually the union suggestion that we do that. So, so that's been quite interesting. And maybe down the line we might we might perform live as Hollywood Radio Players. I don't really know. Right now we have our hands full. Oh, I can imagine. These shows done every month. It's crazy. And and there's something else about here too. Is it dealing with the Hollywood Squares? Oh, <laughs> that's that's interesting. Uh, there's there's a uh, a wonderful museum here uh, that a lot of people from around the world come to called the Hollywood Museum. And what they did, because like everybody else, you know, during the pandemic, they had to shut down, but they wanted to. Uh, keep their staff on, and they did. I don't know how. And so they asked a bunch of us, uh, Tom Bergeron, myself, just a lot of people, to come in and do the Hollywood Museum Squares. And when we did do that as a fundraiser, I think it, you can still you can still see that if you if yeah. you uh, I think you would go to the HollywoodMuseum.com. I'm not sure. Just Google it. Actually, Hollywood I have the YouTube yeah. link here that I'll share in the uh, description of the program so people can see it. Um, because, again, it's done like the Hollywood Squares, except instead of being in the actual game board like they were on TV, you guys were on in Zoom and in your living rooms and kitchens and wherever you may have been. We were, but, but there were graphics uh, yeah. that looked like it, they, were, they were the actually, actually the Hollywood Squares from, you know, before. And uh, and that was a lot of fun. And Tom Tom hosted I think one maybe four. Bruce Valanche, John Davidson, um, and then a, and then a lot of us 
I don't remember how many shows there are, quite a few. And I, I mean, I can't remember who all the participants were, but all people that you would know. And and the funny thing is, most of them I've talked to within the last year too, from Juice. Oh, that is funny. Joyce Bullifant, uh Loretta Swit, Bruce Valange, oh. uh, yeah. Allison Argrim, Jerry Mathers, yeah. Carol Hennessy, Ruta Lee, Rich Little. Um, and that's just the one that I'm looking at right now. And uh, I've had the opportunity to talk to them all this year. And well, you're talking uh, about all my friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. I'm glad. I really am. And uh, it, it, it's fun to be able to, uh, I, I don't want to say relive the past, but to basically yeah, to, to, to um, honor the past, I guess is a good way to say it, um, about where things were so 30, 40 years ago and trying to recreate that for a different audience. And again, it's a shame. We don't see Hollywood squares anymore. And if we do... It's buried on some channel somewhere, basically in a deep cable setup that no one knows where it's at. So it's nice to be able to see this again. And there's performers that we haven't seen on TV in years. And, and as much as I hate to say it, I didn't realize Rich Little was still performing. So, oh, he's yeah. big and vague. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Cute. And I think he's 90 or 80. Yeah. Well, I said that to somebody, and I could have swore they were going to hang up on me when I said that. So... Um, it was like no, he, no I, I know him and he the man has more energy yeah. than you know 10 light bulbs so I know but there are lots and lots of uh, there's lots and lots of great performers on that on the Hollywood Museum squares and lots and lots of performers on the Hollywood radio players mm -hmm. and I, I just think I think it's great that that you guys are doing this and especially the radio side, because you're bringing back a lost art form, because a lot of people, like you said, um, they only know radio for music. They don't know radio for entertainment, like theater entertainment, radio plays and stuff like that. And right. it's interesting. And this is the thing I was going to ask you about War of the Worlds. And going back to my class earlier today, I was explaining to the kids about what radio programming sounded in 1938. Did you actually have a band or an orchestra perform like they did in the program? Okay, I'm going to tell you a secret. Okay. They did not have a band. They okay. did not have an orchestra. Okay. But what they had was a record. Ah. And that's what Orson used. Yes. And and what we, and, and we, and the, you'll see when you watch it, and you may remember from hearing it, but they referred two or three times to Ramon Ragnado. Mm -hmm. And his something orchestra in mm -hmm. the Meridian Room. Yeah. There was no such person as Ramon Raquello. And so that was entirely made up. But then we had to go find, because we like, we. I mean, we're not perfect. Our shows are not perfect, but they are fun. But we wanted to find music, dance music, specifically, specifically a foxtrot, and specifically a tango, and we had to find five, and we, and of course, since we are on Zoom, you see us, and we wanted to find uh, video clips of this. Oh, okay. And it took us forever, and we found them. So you will, you will see, I think there's five in our show, I think there's five different video clips of, of people dancing and the dance music. 
and and we tried to be as accurate as possible. Obviously, we could not find Ramon Raquello because he never existed, mm. but we found is that the music that he was playing, and and the video of people dancing. So it's really fun. You really see the actual people from 1938. You know, dancing and how they dressed and. It was so elegant and, and beautiful, and so you get to see all that. One of the uh, AM radio stations I started working at years ago, in the 1930s, they did have their own house band, and the station wow. was in a hotel in in a small community outside of Pittsburgh called Uniontown, and I actually still have some of the original recordings, but I, I understand because that was, that was it. That was what they had. They didn't have the... Uh, the technology that we have today, but that's so cool that you guys went out to try to recreate that in the best way you possibly could. And and we pull it off because all Orson had was a record, uh-huh. and of of these different, you'll see the different uh, different pieces of music in the broadcast. But but again, because we are visual radio, you can see we had to find yeah that radio would... clips. We just didn't want to have, you know, a black screen and music playing. Yeah, that would make it difficult because trying to find something like that. Because, like, he was on radio, so no one was going to see it anyhow. But you, with again, with the screen there, you're going to have to show something. Yeah, and we do. You'll so. see. It, I mean, it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of a miracle that <laughs> we actually found these pieces. And, and you know, they're a little staticky they're, because they're from 1938. And the sound was not what it is today, and that's okay, because I think that's even more, more appropriate, more right. accurate. So again, that that to me is just fascinating. That um, that again, there's an audience for this stuff because I would have never, I would have never thought that um, people such as yourselves would still be performing something like this. I know there's a, still an audience out there for the old radio dramas, the radio comedy, stuff like that, because they're on satellite radio and they're on the Internet, but not to recreate them. That's what I find very interesting, that, that, that people like the recreations. They, they love it. And, and the fact that we invented you know, this hybrid medium, I think, really helps it, because, like I said before, people don't have a lot of patience, unless they're driving. I mean, right. In L.A., we listen to a lot of things on radio because we're always driving and everything is 45 minutes away, at least, but that is the average. And and so they would listen to it. And I have had people tell me, oh, I just listened to your War of the World. So I'm like, why did you listen? Why didn't you watch it? I was in my car. Oh, oh okay. So that's pretty cool. And, and, and we're happy because... If people, if people want to listen to it, they can. Just listen. They can close their eyes. I've had people tell me, I closed my eyes. I said, well, you missed all the, all the special effects. And they said, well, I'll go back and watch you. Great. You know, the more times, the merrier. So I, I am thrilled that we're doing this. I don't know how long we're going to do this for. We'll, we will see. And because we're all starting to get busy now with actual you know, paying work. Right. And but but we're going to do this for as long as we can because we know that the motion picture and television fund, you know, badly needs help. I just got an email today from the CEO, you know, about the state the state of their finances and you know, it just made me want to help them even more. 
So again, this again, this is a wonderful thing that you guys are doing, not only for 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 the organization, but also for the general public. And again, introducing it to a younger audience. And I hope that uh, the educators that you shared with it last month are able to use those in their classrooms as learning tools. Because again. I think it's a great way to be able to uh, ex expand children's minds by giving them something different that they're not familiar with. So, again, I think it's wonderful that you guys are doing this. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. And, uh, uh, Lee, what do you have on your schedule for the next – you said you're starting to get busy again. What's on your schedule for the next few months? Um, I can't tell you yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> if I could, I would have. <laughs> 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 but uh, you can swear me to secrecy. I don't tell anybody. No, no. Oh, okay. No. Sorry, <laughs> uh, can't do that. Uh, not when you're negotiating. I got gotcha. you. So, um, and also you do have to sign things these mm -hmm. days, which I understand. But you know, it, I find it weird. But that's okay. So things, you know, things are occurring, and we'll, and. It'll be, everything will be on my social media okay. as it happens. So one other question I have for you, and I've asked everybody that I've talked to about this, because when you got in the industry, it was just TV and film. Now you have all these streaming services available. Is is the streaming service, uh, do, do I want to say, reinvigorating your career because people are finally finding you again? Or is it giving you an opportunity to perf perform in things that you've never thought you were performing? Well, that's, that's kind of a, a, a big question. Um, I don't think that I've ever been lost, so I think finding me again is is not exactly uh, accurate. Okay. But uh, but I would I would say that the streaming services, Netflix, Hulu, etc., have certainly brought more content. I'm not entirely sure that that's a good thing because there's over 500 scripted shows right. right now. And that includes everything, you know, cable, uh, commercial supported TV, streaming, it, you know, but 500 scripted shows, gee, that's a lot. And it's much bigger. I, I'm just glad I'm not a young actor now because I don't know how they find their way. I really have no idea. And I was I was discussing this with my manager a couple of days ago, like, how, how do they do this? Because of all the auditions now, and this started before the pandemic, right? Uh, are virtual. You don't, you don't go in anymore to a casting directors or producers or director's office and audition for the team and have a conversation and, and communication and back and forth. And it doesn't happen. Yeah, I was. I talked to Barry Livingston, who played Ernie on My Three Sons, about that. Who's, who said that he never thought he would be doing um, video casting calls because he's just in yeah. a room by himself and there's no one to work off of, and it's like very awkward. He said. So. Yeah, Barry. Barry's a good friend of mine yeah. as well, and yeah, it's very stark. And of course, Barry is is well established. I am well established, mm. and so that's a little bit better. But what if you're 19? Oh yeah, and you and you can't build any relationships with casting or production. You you can't because you like Barry said. Well, there's two ways of doing. They're called self tapes, which is really a misnomer. 
but there's two ways of doing this, like like Barry does, and I know he does this, and because we talked about it, he does it at home with a setup by himself. I believe his wife is his reader, and but you know that's so sterile, yes. and so artificial, and I I tried it that way for a while. I just did not like it. So now what I do, when I get an audition, sometimes I just get offers, sometimes I have to audition, it varies. But I go to, and they've sprang up all over the last, I'd say, five, six, seven years, that I go to a, a taping studio. Oh, okay. I want, I want somebody else to do mm-hmm. the engineer work. I am not an engineer. Right. Um, and, you know, I just act and produce and direct and write. So I'm not an engineer. And so that's what I do, is I go to a self-tape studio, even though it's not a self-tape. I I go there and I work with, you know, the professionals there who are very good. And, and of course, you have to pay them, and which is fine. And um, and usually they're actors, directors, writers. Right. And so that works uh, better for me. I have all the equipment. I tried it for a while. I just don't like doing it at home. And you know, there's always something like my dog will bark. Oh, yes, always. <laughs> and, and my friends in New York who do actual self-tapes in their small apartment uh-huh. that costs a million dollars a month, you know, they have they have to contend with the sound of the city. Mm-hmm. While they're, and their neighbors upstairs, downstairs, side, side. So it it's very hard. And I again, I'm so glad I'm not a young actor. Well, I I have a son who is a young actor who graduated from college this spring with his de- degree in musical theater. Oh, where did he graduate? From? He graduated from uh, California University of Pennsylvania. He's now performing in. Uh, he's part of a, a stage program, actually two stage programs at Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, and he just signed with an agent, I believe, this past week, and he's looking at doing. Uh, trying to get out there but like you said it's very difficult because there's not the interaction there or the connections being made there and he loves it he, he's and being a proud dad i'm kind of biased but um, i think he's really good uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course you do <laughs> and he has one hell of a voice too which he did not get that for me i have no music ability whatsoever so oh oh and he well, uh, that is i i just wish him the best of luck I hope he I hope he finds his way and has a fabulous long career. It's hard. It's hard it, it, being young. He 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 said that he got this he got this job and it was interesting because he was offered it on a Monday. He had to be there the following Monday, make arrangements for his housing and all that just in seven days and move. And he said, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So I'm doing it now. And he's been there now for about four months and he's enjoying every minute of it. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, so. No, you have to take the opportunity when it lands yeah. on you because it may not happen again, and and you never know yeah. where it's coming. That's from, right. You know, so I'm happy that he has uh, a good gig pretty early. Yeah. That's good. So he he loves it. He loves it, and I know a lot of people that that did it, um, did it for quite a few years, who did stage performing, and decided, okay, I'm done. Now I'm going to go back into a more of a traditional lifestyle, and they still do it on the side, but they still they still uh, figured it was time to raise a family and do all that stuff. So it's kind of fun to talk to them too about where they've been and what they've done. So, oh yeah. Of so again, of 
Lee, this has been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to uh, watching the Hollywood radio players later on today. And I will be sharing these with my class also. So it's kind of oh, it's kind of cool to be able to do it because I think, like I said, I've shared the one which was the original, but sharing something that has a visual aspect to it may um, may give them a better understanding of what was going on beside behind the scenes when everything was happening. Yeah, because it it adds you know another other senses. Uh, if you do radio and just radio, it's just hearing. Right. But this is hearing and seeing, and and that is, I think, broad, broadens the experience. So, again, Lee, thank you very much. I thank greatly you appreciate so much, it, Bill. and you have a great day. And uh, we'll hopefully talk to you real soon. Yeah, that would be great. And I just want to tell you, I have such respect for teachers. I just think teachers are underpaid, and they are the most important. Of almost any profession. If, if so you'd thank like, thank you for doing. If that. you like, we start contract negotiation the first year. If you'd like to speak to my uh, board, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> I, I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, honestly, I, I bet you would be too. I really think you would be. So, <laughs> so Lee, thank th- you. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a million-dollar baby production. For more information, go to thebillalexandershow.com.